Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as you know, my job is to get you off the brink. We've moved into our 300th plus podcast, and it truly is an honor to celebrate with you because every time we have a new one, we get lots of people across the globe coming to us asking for more. How do I get you off the brink? How do I help you soar? Well, I do that by letting you listen to people who are doing just that. They help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can change, add some tools into your portfolio, but just see how the world is going through a great transformation. So today, I brought you two amazing women. I have Maura Carlin and Chrissy DeRico. Now, I met them through a mutual friend who then introduced me, and I was absolutely honored to be on The Balance Dilemma. This was a terrific in-person WVOX recording, a podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about podcasting, actually a lot of bit about podcasting, because I do them with great pleasure. I haven't monetized it. I don't want I don't want advertisers. I just want great people to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. So today, let me tell you a little bit about these two wonderful women, and then they'll tell you about their own journey. But listen carefully to their own experiences. There's something there for you, each of you, to begin to understand how in our life's journey, we continue to soar only if we get off the brink. So here we go. I have Maura Carlin here, who spent over 15 years as a litigator at law firms. Now remember, I could have been an attorney or an anthropologist, <laughs> but it was my husband who said to me, oh, be an anthropologist and I'll be here for you. And he doesn't mind my telling me that. It was 55 years ago, but I am still an anthropologist. I'm glad I wasn't an attorney. I have two attorneys here today, but she started as a litigator, while raising her family, Maura left law and focused on journalism, working as a producer and host on LMC Media's news programming. So this is an interesting blend here. Her natural talent in live on-air interviews was on display weekly during roundtable discussions with elected officials, newsmakers, and more. She's going to tell you she doesn't like to talk about herself, but she loves <laughs> That's right. She received a BA from Cornell and a JD with honors from George Washington. But she is really on another part of her own journey. Now, Christy DeRico grew up in a world encouraged by female entrepreneurs. And she and I love to share stories about those female entrepreneurs. I often thought I should write a book called What I Learned at My Grandmother's Knee. Because it was my grandmother who taught me all about how do you count yes. at the end of the day, right? It was so interesting. Beginning with her grandmother and continuing with her mother, a tech entrepreneur, as mine was, not a tech, but a really good entrepreneur. She established her law practice in 1998 and tailored her firm to meet her community and family needs. She lives in Westchester. Maura has four, uh, three sons, and Christy sure. has four children. And I think just because they are really the epitome of the balanced dilemma. Thank you for joining <laughs> me today. <laughs> let's let's hey, thank you for having us uh, a little further. I know you don't like to talk to yourself, so I'll start with Christy. Who are you? What's your journey? And then I'll get to Maura, and then we'll go deep into hmm, what has podcasting taught us and what we're trying to do with it. Christy, how about yourself? Uh, well, Andy, like I think many people, I was inspired reading To Kill a Mockingbird. So I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer from uh, freshman year of high school when that is usually assigned. And um, I went right from college to law school, and I was a college athlete. 
And then I went to compete in law school as, uh, you know, Maura and I can attest law school is not an easy feat. Each level you go up in your education, it's harder and harder, but I have loved being an attorney and I've handled, I do litigation, handle many cases, criminal and civil. And I also established a local practice where I got to connect with people in the community. And that's one of my favorite things. I'm not very good at tracking my pro bono hours because there are just so many of them. If someone walks in with a problem, you know, I'm there to help, even if sometimes they can't, uh, you know, pay what would be the customary rate. So I met Maura on a show a few years ago, and we just struck up a friendship and started a conversation that became The Balanced Dilemma. And it had a launch in this pandemic where many people had an opportunity to pivot and try new things. And that's our story. Well, what I love about it, you must know Adam Grant's book, Givers and Takers. And, and givers um, just really are essential to the beauty and joy of our society. And as you said about your pro bono, um, we're givers. You know, it's sort of like, how can I help? As opposed to, how can you pay me? And that is a real mark of a woman I want to have on my podcast. Thank you. Maura, how about yourself? You know, it's funny. I hadn't even realized how similar Christy and I were in those beginning years because I, too, wanted to be a lawyer after reading a To Kill a Mockingbird in eighth <laughs> or ninth grade. Um, and I did not come from a family of lawyers or business people, for that matter. Um, my father was an artist and my mother was a teacher and both grew up poor. Um, and I didn't want to do what they did. And I wanted to be a lawyer. So I, too, went I, I went to college. I too was a college athlete for a couple of years and went straight to law school also. And during law school, you know, I really didn't know much about the practice of law as it turned out and ended up going to a big firm in New York City and started my law career that way. And then along the way, um, a two intense career couple with children couldn't really make it work very well. And there were things going on at home, and I went home thinking it was temporary. And um, we then actually had a third kid, and I got involved in local journalism, which is something I had always been interested in. I did radio in college, and um, and I really pursued that while I was home, but I needed flexibility. I needed to be around. So there we have it. And Christy and I met on the set of this show, this news show, which was a combination of news and a discussion roundtable, and we hit it off right away talking about the struggle. Or so the let's talk about the, the struggle, because uh, the struggle has accelerated during the pandemic. It was there before. People talked about work-life balance, and I used to say, why is work not life? I couldn't quite figure out what this balance was that we were trying to get, but it was always about women in that work-life balance. And uh, it, it is an interesting time for us to take a look at how women have creatively uh, solved an unexpected challenge. And, and now we're trying to figure out how the next challenge is going to put more strain or uh, opportunities for creative um, ideas to come forth as people are being asked to come back to the workplace. And I'm hearing this constant recurring theme. Well, you know, before the pandemic, to work at home was a gift you gave me. It was part of my benefits. During the pandemic, you gave me a day to figure out how to do it. And now you want me to come back in the office 
And some folks are going back in the office and sitting on Zoom in the office because their colleagues are still remote. We haven't figured this out. So go ahead. Andy, you, so Maura and I, uh, the three of us have used uh, some words here, flexibility. So adding to my bio, I had a formula for flexibility from having a mother and a grandmother who were working mothers. And I learned things and things have been tweaked uh, through the generations. I have my mother's <clears throat> sisters still run the family business and they have children. And so I had a benefit of things that many women don't. You know, I have, I have rules. I try to keep things hyper-local. Like Mora, I'm very involved in the community. So if something falls apart, you're a known entity and somebody can, you know, swoop in and drive your kid home or something like that. But what really brought Mora and I together was an article that was at that time 30 years old, <coughs> Confessions of a Superwoman. And Mora, why don't why don't you tell Andy about how this spawned our project? Yeah, this is actually a funny story, Andy. You know, one of those, you know, your parents dump everything in your attic when you have a house. You know, they get you out of theirs. Um, That time I was going finally hitting the boxes and I found this article from December 1980. I don't know where or how I got it, but and I clearly didn't read it (laughs) when I was younger. And this woman was trying to do it. And this was what really hit me. Yes, she was trying to have this high-flying career and she was a prominent scientist and she had a child and she couldn't make it work. And what really struck me and what Christy and I talked about was 30 years later, very little had changed. And even more so, we were speaking about it in the same terms. And that was just unbelievable and kind of horrifying at the same time. And I'll just add to that, that in the pandemic, even leading up to it, 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 progress has been with fits and starts. And we've seen in our community, I think there are less daycares here than when I moved here in uh, the late 90s. Why is that? And how can we move forward unless we address the elephant in the room, childcare and other issues that help women stay in the workforce? And our project, The Balanced Dilemma, has been a super interesting social science, so to speak, uh, analysis of all the machinations of this work-life balance. What has been most interesting to me is that our guests have been entrepreneurs, reinventors, creators, executives, parents, partners. We have had fine artists, uh, other types of artists, writers, all people telling the story, not just women, there are men too, of how they have made a life for their families and themselves and keeping their identity and making livings and things like that. It's been absolutely fascinating. I'm curious though, maybe Maura can provide her perspective on this. How do we make change? Because to your point, there's less childcare. There are few childcare workers. You know, I didn't have childcare. I had to hire a nanny. And I, 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 you know, I had, I, I remember my husband and I navigating the complex waters of who was going to work which days. And, and I worked Wednesdays and Saturdays at the university so he could take care of the kids on Saturdays. There was always the, um, the navigating. But on the other hand, we never really thought back about, Jay, what did we do here? This was sort of just how we, we got it done. But how do we make the changes that are going to be necessary 
to create something we're calling a work-life balance or something. I'm not quite sure the vision of what we're going toward, and I'm not sure how to help us get there. Laura, how about your perspective? I, I think we need to figure out the child care piece of it, as Christy was saying, because someone has to be there at some time, whether it's a parent, uh, another family member, or someone you hire. I, I, I don't I don't see another solution, but it's something that keeps getting ignored. And one of the things on the balance dilemma is, interestingly, we don't talk politics, but we do. This is the one policy area where we kind of have to go into it and seeing how different people have handled it. And it always seems, and this is where my husband and I actually had a problem because it comes back to this. Someone seems to have some flexibility. You know, even our last guest, who was the lead parent, she from um, the very beginning had was able to work from home long before work from home was a thing. And that allowed her to be around for the children. She also hired someone yep. that she could delegate to, but it's, you know, she had the flexibility and I don't know how you do it otherwise. But, you know, but why are children the afterthought instead of the thought in our society? Christy, you have a Agreed. perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we've, had some common links with Frank Schaefer. I found his book, um, you know, fall in love, have children stay put. It's a big, big, long title, but I found some of the things I'm not saying Frank and I agreed on everything, but I was, it was refreshing that he was discussing it and putting it out there. And we were discussing, uh, just this weekend with my mother when she was finishing her college degree and she was at community college, there was a childcare facility. And I remember being there. That didn't mean I was there seven to seven, but in the time that she had to take some classes, I could go there. I wonder how many colleges have childcare facilities these days. I don't think many, and it has made it an afterthought, but Childcare is just one component of it. The thing that Maura and I have uh, touched upon is planning. Young people, young <clears throat> women, young men don't often think, how do I want my life to look 20 years from now? They kind of spontaneously go into things that they like, not really thinking, well, wait, is this going to be the career that gives me the best work-life balance? And Maura and I uh, were not fond of the book. Um, what was the name of it, Maura? I don't Amen. know how she does it. No, oh, I don't know how I she does it. It uh, had a Wall Street exec in London, and it, it was so depressing that she would come home at night, couldn't stand to see her husband, would buy store-bought pies and distress them to bring them into school for the uh, school play. Like it was such a um, you know a Debbie Downer of a working woman. I couldn't stand to read the book. Not that it wasn't well written or entertaining. It just hit a nerve with me. Yeah. So how can we make this, as you say, something that there is some forethought or there is some flexibility? I think the change in the marketplace in the economy is allowing people in general to change careers easier. You're not stayed in one place. So we have to be open to, well, maybe I'm going to shift to this. Maybe I won't earn as much money but I'm in it and maybe I need to be there for four years and then it could shift again. So hopefully these changes that were coming that are coming out of this uh, pandemic can facilitate that flexibility that did not used to exist. I also think that the flexibility is coming from employers if you ask for it because of the pandemic, allowing people to work from home more, understanding that people do have other people to watch over. And it's not just children, it's their elder, elderly and their families as well, which is also huge. Let's think big. 
what is it? And Frank Schaefer was on my podcast and I love his ideas. And I said, so why is it so hard for employers to realize that if they opened up a child-friendly culture, um, they could attract people who would not only come and want to come and stay, but see them aligned with their own values. Why is that such a foreign idea? And I, I you know, as we're, we're talking about it, and he and I talked about it, I said, Frank, this isn't so hard. Just open up the gap. My daughter worked for the gap. The gap had a daycare. Three weeks, you could bring them in. Three months, they were there. And, and they, they did it. So why is this such a mystery? And why do they fight it? We went, well, we don't even have to go into politics and figure out why society and government does it. But how many businesses could do it tomorrow? Well, I think we have to look at ex- successful examples. So this, you know, we're lawyers and Maura and I love to research. So I am a fact, evidence-based person. So we can have a theory and it sounds great. But if I can't find the data to support that it's a good formula, I'm not going to be behind it. And I won't bore you. Maura knows I've gone down the rabbit hole of some of these (laughs) issues. And we have a running Google document with our research that I find absolutely fascinating on the issues of of family uh, and work. But we have to do things here that have been proven to be successful. The evidence does show that if you have flexibility, women do stay in the jobs longer. But we are, we have to be in agreement that there's some professions that you just can't bring your kid to work. So maybe this is why I think it needs to be a broader Mm -hmm. societal solution. And another thing that we've found is it's a lot easier to achieve flexibility when you're at the top of your game. If you're having to do this at the beginning of your career, before you've had the chance to do internships and put in the long hours and prove yourself, it is a lot harder. So these are the discussions that we have to have and stop kicking the can down the, the, the road. Well, is that why the birth rate in this country is declining and, and declining at a very high rate and marriage rate is declining and people aren't getting married till they're 35, 34, 35, having kids at high risk levels. And 40 percent of the kids are born to single parents and not to the guys. Um, and so and now you have an interesting demographic. Demography is destiny. Um, It's telling us something. To your point, how come we can't plan ahead? Well, we are planning ahead, sort of, which is I'm not going to get married. We live together and um, we wait till we're, you know, on that brink of uh, can I have a child any lighter than this? And then I get married. Um, But I've, you know, I've done my savings. I I think the generation that's coming is so different from the boomer And, and, and even different from Gen X and Gen Y somewhat. Um, but they 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 see this and they're beginning to talk about the changes they can bring. And I'm hoping that they can visualize something that is, addresses the balance dilemma. Please. Uh, Maura, ahead, you Christy. want me to take it? All right. Go so ahead. This is, we have discussed this quite a bit. <laughs> and we have our oldest children are the same age. And they're in a similar line of work. But we can't answer the, these are for social scientists to study, but I was curious. I did read the book. Uh, I think it's Philippa. It's uh, okay. Boomer. Yes. And it's a dialogue with the, the boomer and a millennial. And it did open my eyes to see some of the reasons why some of the things you are talking about exist. You can't, we can't sit there and say, well, back in my day, we did it this way. There's a feeling they feel an insecurity. They went through some uh, national uh, crisis, the 2008 uh, meltdown, 9-11. 
these are part of the reasons that they they feel they need huge security before they go on to that next step, aside from the socio, uh, you know, expectations and living together and things like that. So I think that we have to look at them, address them and try to give support. Otherwise, this is going to keep trending, you know, and we're not alone. It's all the developed countries have low birth rates, but some have been more successful than others. And I think when we say fact or evidence-based, that's what we need to look to. How do they do it in the countries where it's worked? And how can we have takeaways from those examples? Yeah. Maura, your thoughts? Well, I actually don't 100% agree with Christy in terms of the age groups, just because looking at, I don't think that our older children fall into that. And it may be because I think they're considered young millennials as opposed to the older millennials. So I, I at least for my son, I don't think he was affected by those things Um the, the way some of the older ones were. Um, I also think what they've seen how hard it is. I, I don't think it's just because of external things like uh, crashes and, uh, cr- you know, real big crises like, like uh, 9-11. I think that they've seen their parents trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah, and my my eldest was keenly aware of the decision that I made mm-hmm. that someone needed to be there, and they haven't seen a solution. Yep. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us, and we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. So let me shift the focus a speck. Men. I mean, I married to um, a fantastic guy who went into his own business when I was an executive at a bank. And I'm traveling up to Buffalo and he's taking care of the kids. Not that he's not employed, working, and and building his own business. But without Mr. Mom, it would have been more challenging. And we always had nannies, but they weren't the same. My kid's relationship to Mr. Mom is fantastic. And, And I think that's because he did become like a mom. 
And and he was the guy who we made sure they had a driver to pick him up and take him. And he was the one who picked him up and took him up for dinner. And and we we made it work. And they are both professional women doing the same. How do the men and the roles they play, are they shifting? Are they reinventing what masculine means? Are they good at being stay-at-home moms? I had some executive coaching clients where the guys were sitting on the couch and the kids were crying and they were on the phone with me. You know, they were on Zoom. And they said, how do I deal with this? I got a, t- a child who's a husband and two children who are children. So my thoughts, your thoughts. We have had two guests. Um, we've had a number of men, but we've had two guests for sure, men, who did that. Um, one in particular, and he really was... He liked to be called Mr. Dad, as he told us. Um, his <laughs> wife is a very prominent orthopedic surgeon, and he took over the home front. And that was, in fact, the title of our episode. It was a choice he made. He was a lawyer also, and he was happy with having done that. Yes. And the kids grew up. They're happy. Um, and they probably do, according to him, give, it, give a hard time to mom sometimes for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one was a... a Teacher, a journalist who flew all over the world and was never around, and for a, I don't want to call it a second act, but ultimately decided that he would step back from that and take things that kept him around more. So, I mean, they are starting to make those kinds of decisions. But what it's showing us is not that two people can have these high flying careers at the same time, but rather that somebody has to step back. And it almost doesn't matter who it is, but someone has to. Is that bad? Go ahead. Step back or home. Yep. Christy. So the other guest we had uh, was a teacher and he gave us an insight on paternity leave. And one thing that we uh, learned. Can I just interject, Christy? Yeah. He was the first man I ever met who took paternity leave. Uh (laughs) That was Morris scouting uh, to find Steph. And what he told us, one question we had had was, when men take paternity leave, um, what are the stats? Are they home while the wives are home, just giving a hand, or are they really, you know, coming in and staying home with the child alone? Because obviously that's a big difference. And Steph explained, as did another guest of ours, a female guest, that they staggered the paternity leave so that someone who was a family member could be home with the newborn. And they could stretch out the time before they needed to hire a caregiver or bring them to uh, a daycare. This is where analysis is important to understand how these families are cobbling it together. But as I'm hearing it, Andy, your perspective, you know, your uh, voice here is men and how they're handling the situation. Women, we have found, also do something called gatekeeping. Yeah. Um, they've, they're used to running the house. They say how the laundry's folded dinner, what's prepared. <laughs> we have to let go of some of those, uh, you know, our, our anal, uh, habits. And I'm speaking for myself and just allow someone else. My husband did the shopping yesterday. I have to stop thinking in my head, all the things he forgot or all the <laughs> things that he bought that I don't like, or didn't, don't usually buy. Okay. He would, it's okay. And if he decides to make a meal during the week, I've got to eat it. It's I'm sure it's going to be healthy and I can't gatekeep, which will be, which penalizes me at the end of the day. If I can't delegate, if I can't accept that my children put their laundry away, 60% perfect. And some clean stuff goes back in the laundry bin or whatever they do or dirty into the, the drawers. It's okay. And that's part of this discussion that we 
we have to take up maybe a little less perfect because we'll be liberated if we can do that. Now, it's job sharing. Your 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 uh, um, one thought more, and then I'll come back. Your your evidence is also you know grounded in a history where when the men came back from the war, the women who were doing just fine working were put back into their home. And welcome to the suburbs where they had their home. And I've met men who have wanted to sell the home only to find out that it was a castle that the woman had controlled and built. And she was not going to sell that home. Oh, and that's, that's interesting. interesting. It was very I hadn't thought of it that way. Because he hadn't either. He thought it was a house. And she said, I'm not selling this. This is the place that's been my creative, you know, and I, and I built it into my, it was her career in a, in a complimentary fashion. And do that I might explain why the, why the woman who we bought our house from didn't want to sell it. Yes. Because <laughs> <Right. Yes. laughs> their identity is connected to their, their job, which was to care for the home. And I met another woman who her husband was an accountant and he, she had dinner for him every night at the same time when he came home. Those roles um, think of it as theater. They knew those roles really well. They could play them in a heartbeat. Could they change roles and play a new one? Oh, it was terrifying. The thought of what would I do? What would I do? You know, how will I do this? So there's so much complexity into something that on the tip of our tongue says, but of course you can. And I'm not sure it's that easy. But, well, Andy, one of the things we, I don't think we talk about enough is the work demands and how they've changed over the generations, no jobs or few jobs are nine to five anymore, or even less than that. And I'll just tell you that my mother was a teacher. So even when she did was off for a long time, but when she went back to teaching, she was still home in the afternoon. My father, uh, while he wasn't a businessman, he negotiated actually for shorter hours and did freelance on the side. And he was home on Fridays. But even, even when he worked full time in the city, it wasn't the same kind of hours that we are expected to work now. And, you know, that makes it harder, one, to deal with the children. But two, it's harder to get child care. Who wants to work nine to nine or seven to, to nine? <laughs> so that's another piece that I don't think we talk about enough. No, Go ahead, Christy. I'm sorry. The entrepreneurial solution. Um, that's her. I, I don't advocate any nine to nine. No, and, and believe me, I work hard. But a lot of my work and my husband's work, we do bring it home. That doesn't, it's, it could be an extra four or five, three hours during the day, but it is here where if someone needs us, no, what I was going to say before, we did mention confessions of a superwoman, but another great article is uh, why I want a wife, which I had to write an essay on in high school. Uh, one of my teachers had me write an essay and it has nothing to do with, you know, partners, uh, sexual partners. It's a support system. Nice. And this hidden workload um, running a house is laborious. If you're clean in COVID, so many people couldn't have their cleaning help come in and they realized this is really tough work. A big job. Yes. And you know, and there's also, there's a lot more, I think, that go, can go into parenting than just, you know, the ministerial making the sausage, as they call it. I mean, there are issues that come up with children, or at least in some families, that can't be addressed by other people. Yep. They need their parents. Yep. Now, that, that leads to the role of parents. Um, because, you know, we started the conversation, <laughs> has our society under... 
um, put on the side burner the child. And it worries me because rather than the child being the foremost, most important thing that we should be, why are we working? That we should be developing society around, it's, it's almost a sidebar. And as Frank was discovering by taking care of his grandchild, this is exciting, it's wonderful, it's exhilarating. Why aren't we all built around our children? So as you're doing your research, why aren't we all built around the children? What is it in our American society where children are, are both wonderful, but also challenging? I mean, how, how we got our values all mixed up? Yeah, go ahead, Christy. No, well, the, the word helicoptering has come up. And in the course of our research, the UN study on birth rates has found that overparenting has contributed to the lower birth rates, the expectations. And truthfully, I think children are less independent. Um, the days of, you know, just be home at six are gone. They're very orchestrated, lots of activities, and a lot of parental involvement is required. Driving, even if you hire someone to drive, you know, you have to be careful with that. It has to be somebody who's uh, very skilled with your precious cargo. But that is a part of this discussion. And now we found again with the pandemic, with the schools closed, a huge bulk of the support system that parents had disappeared overnight. And not only did you have them home, you were expected to do their schooling on front of a computer. Yes. But I will say that from the guests we've spoken to and our personal experiences, I actually don't think people have put the parenting you know, um, on the back burner. I think that they, it's just that they're expecting to do at all. And they're expecting to do parenting at a much higher level than at least my parents did. Um, some of it's from society and some of it is internal. Yeah, and some you, of it is the kids. Uh, but but you're, 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 you know, you're raising some interesting questions about society because I too remember that I was pretty free. I had a bike and I could bicycle over to Lord and Taylor's and I had my own allowance. I could spend it however I, I didn't have to uh, explain much of anything. We went outside onto the street and played kickball, whoever was around. I still know my next door neighbor, Bobby, and I laugh sometimes at how free we were to, to be and to learn through that becoming. But, but today, everything is different. And if you don't, um, you know, if you don't have them in lacrosse and then soccer and then rugby, um, then they, they, they hang around with nothing to do because nobody's outside hanging out doing playing keyball. So you're, you're caught between the two. So let's assume that's just going to be our society for a while. As you look forward to coming out of the pandemic, any thoughts for the women who are going to look for that balanced dilemma and somehow uh, address it in some fashion? Because the businesses are full of a balanced dilemma. So who's first? I think it's going to have to be flexibility and it's going to have to be flexibility coming from the employers. Mm -hmm. The problem that I see, and I think about this all the time, is it's one thing to be flexible, but if the workload doesn't change, it's very, it's very hard. And I'm not talking about those who allow the workload to fill as many hours as you have, but there are things that just can't be flexible. Mm -hmm. I, I tried it at one point. Um, after having kids. And if the judge needed me to be in court, I had to be in court. And it really didn't matter whether it wasn't my day or I had, you know, a parent teacher conference. So, you know, there, there's, well, there is society. There's a piece there that's out of your control. They do rule us to some degree. Yeah. But I mean, those are good, good insights. Christy, how about yourself? Well, 
I have managed to make my career flexible and I have been before judges and I can remember a couple tough experiences. Um, I, I did have one story. Um, my husband cut his finger one morning and all I had was a Mickey Mouse or princess Band-Aid. And I said, this is it. You're going to have to go to court with this. So he puts it on. He goes, this is great. The jury is going to love this. They'll know I'm a dad. And I, he walked out and I said, oh, if I had walked in with the Mickey Mouse Band-Aid, I think that they would have thought, oh, she's a terrible mom. She can't even get a Band-Aid. But See, the symbolism are- is so different, <laughs> isn't it? The same Band-Aid. Oh, I love it. But you're smart and you're right. It, uh, in any event, the, this comes back to the issue of change, uh, you know, in deciding careers and which position. But the thing that we have addressed on our show are pivots, pivots, pitfalls, curveballs. They happen. And how do you handle it? Or if you did decide to stay home for 10 years for great reasons. We have to stop thinking of parenting as pure drudgery. It's the most <laughs> wonderful time and you only get that one chance. So if you decided to stay home, what happens? It takes a lot of courage. And we have featured many guests who have done return ships. Uh, one woman was like the 40-year-old intern. And we didn't get to address this uh, in one of our recent shows, but it was on my mind. She said that she felt that her managers could turn to her and talk about business problems because she was the only adult in the room or, you know, a a senior adult, not somebody who was 22 years old and didn't even know where to put the stamp on an envelope. So there are aspects. And now we can look at different careers, uh, see where we might fit in best and aim for that. It probably takes us a couple of years to re-enter. But looking at these pivots, I think you have to just build yourself up and do it. It's interesting listening to you because I hope those who are listening to us begin to think themselves about how do we begin to change our attitudes, our values, our minds. I did a, a workshop for the Petroleum Association of Pennsylvania in June last year, and they're all struggling without drivers. I said, well, have you thought of hiring women? And they looked at me. I said, well, listen, what is wrong with having the drivers from 10 to 3 and let them do it when the kids uh, drop them off at the school bus and pick them up after? And they looked at me. I said, you're short. You know, you have a challenge. What is it? And then and and how can you then complement them differently? How do you start to think about it from the eyes of what's possible? Because they're all sitting there waiting for jobs. And you simply say, well, that's not our job. Well, why? (laughs) Because that's the way you created it. You don't have to. Well, this... These are the discussions we need to have because benefits are tied to employment. So mm-hmm. if you have an employee and they have a benefits package, you know, an extra thirty, forty thousand dollars, it's harder to rationalize, you know, what is part-time? Does a person want to take that on and have no benefits? So that but those are the solutions and the discussions we need to have so we can have people that just can't commit to 40 hours a week or 38 to 42 hours a week. And there are places for them. Um, The biggest thing, though, when you return to the workforce is your family and getting them to adapt to uh, loading the dishwasher, doing their own laundry, picking up a night to cook something. You know, this is this is part of the uh, cooperation, you know, but as a conductor of the family orchestra and I often (laughs) thought of it that way, everyone had an, an instrument to play. 
And if you conducted it well, they enjoyed it. It was an opportunity to shine as opposed to a penalty box because they were a child. And um, and I can uh, 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 offline, we can talk about how I train my, my family because part of it was to give them the confidence they could, the opportunity to learn the training and not to do and to be the, the enabler, the facilitator, the lover, the hugger, but not the I'll take charge. You really messed it up person. And that requires maturity on our part to see this as a conductor might where they aren't all playing their instruments yet, but nobody's trained them to play them. And so the metaphor work for me might be something to share as you're thinking out there. I do have um, two thoughts to talk about, though. One is self-care. We have a 30-day challenge, actually a 60-day challenge for a group of women presidents down in Nashville. It's going on now, and it's called mm-hmm. Time to Take Care of You. And they're all stressed out, but the research is extraordinary that self-care can reduce stress. And what, what's happened is that for many successful women, they think it's guilty to take care of themselves. What does that mean? Anything from having a mm-hmm. cup of coffee on their porch to working out, to setting aside time on their calendar for a quiet time, a quiet walk, um, to go and, and have a, a, a hobby that they can do and how to program it so that it's part of their day. What are you seeing in terms of self-care? Because this is our third um, and I'm going to be doing these as often as I can because everyone who gets into them doesn't want it to stop. Taking care of them is something to overcome called guilt. And then when they do it, they go, oh, this makes me feel like I'm valued. I'm worth something. What do you see? Anything to share? Mara, you want to start? Sure. Well, I mean, personally, I'm one of those people who needs to exercise. I need, I need to move. Um, not everyone feels that way. I think the problem is finding the time. It's very hard to set aside that time. And Christy and I do talk about that you need to have friends if that's important to you. You need to get exercise for health reasons, but for some people, it's sort of like what energizes them. Um, I think you need time to yourself. And I will tell you that I have started doing a gratitude and compassion class that I am failing at miserably. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Um, and it's something to, the big part of it is being kind to yourself. Yes. And I think that's what we all need more of. Well, and I find that the challenge is just fascinating because once they get into it, it takes a day or two to three, and then all of a sudden they don't want to stop it. And it has a gratitude part at the end and the wall of winds where they high five each other. Christy, do you find people with the self-care as the afterthought also? Because without it, you can't be happy. Um, well, in the evolution of my family, my, uh, grandmother unfortunately passed away before she was 60 and I feel that she nearly worked herself to death. She did have an illness, but she was not good at the self-care aspect of it. And she was the biggest heart. And I think of her all the time in terms of the lessons as a business owner and a mother. And my mother brought that to the table to say, you got to have sports, you have to have friends. So it's something that's been part of my life. I get up very early to do my exercise, which sometimes can be, you know, exhausting, but it's maybe you do it three days a week and not five, you know, you find a way to accommodate it. But in talking about uh, pivots and trying new things. I went back to school and I am, you know, almost halfway through a master's, uh, in English. 
And I see our podcast as something that Maura and I did that was uh, a personal hobby that turned into something. We learned new things and we had to make room for this. I mean, Maura edits the audio for our shows. I do the newsletter and the graphics. Um, I can't even believe I've learned how to do that. (laughs) So, Well, and it puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think it's really important to keep learning new things, um, yes. to, you know, especially with all the new technology and it can be very frustrating, but I think actually keeping up with it is really important <laughs> from a mental standpoint and to not feel like the world has passed you by. I think that is a real big um, reminder. So we are about ready to wrap. So if that is your first, um, the world doesn't pass you by. You must stay up on top. Do you have one or two other things, Maura? And then I'll let Christy do hers. The thing that I keep telling myself that I wish I'd told myself earlier was be bolder and be braver. Ah. And, I, you know, things like things that scare me and I don't mean, you know, spook me, <laughs> but I have to go do them. And I do. I love that. Be bolder, be braver. I never thought of it that way, but you're right. I mean, I'm not a Brene Brown aficionado, but there to be brave, I think, is what we need to be, because these are very, the times have always been tough. And somehow we all had families that mustered through them. And I think these are going to be exciting times to come out of. Be brave, be courageous. Love it. Christy, your last thoughts. Uh, With the gratitude theme, sometimes we have to stop and reflect and really uh, applaud ourselves uh, about what we've achieved. Stop focusing on what we didn't do, the things that didn't turn out great. Um, You know, never to, uh, you must love to have experienced love loss. Like it's all part of it. And I think that Maura and I do a post-mortem at the end of our season. And even sitting here today, I was thinking this weekend how much we achieved on the goals we set for ourselves. And if some don't happen, that doesn't really matter. That's okay too. (laughs) But it's important to take stock and be appreciative and compliment yourself that you've done a good job. You know, the brain research I love because it's, you know, being an anthropologist and looking at culture, the brain, the human being needs um, gratitude, appreciation. It needs to have those three things every day that you did well. And all of a sudden, the the, the oxytocin in the brain goes flying around and that love hormone makes you feel warm and fuzzy. If you don't, the cortisol has a great time making you feel angry. Somebody said to me at a meeting I was at, well, I have a friend who's angry all the time. How do they change? He said, just take control of your mind. There's nothing in your mind that's anger. It's just the way you think. So now, what's happening? What makes you happy? How do you turn lemons into lemonade? Because nobody can do it but us. And we can each do it so that we can then smile every morning. So the first thing that my little 30-day challenge tells you to do is to wake in the morning and smile. And all of a sudden, the day looks very cool. Why not? It's perfect. This has been such fun. If they want to listen to The Balanced Dilemma or get a hold of you, where and how do they do that? We are on the internet at thebalancedilemma.com where you can find old episodes. We have show notes and things recommended by our guests. We're also on social media at The Balanced Dilemma Podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn and any place you listen to your podcasts, which could be Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, 
The Balanced Dilemma. You can find old episodes and listen in. We appreciate it. Last thought, Maura? Anything to add? Nope. I'm <laughs> just that, you know, uh, be bolder, be braver. And that included going on a podcast. This is my first time on somebody else's. That's right. I love it. I'm sorry. You were bold and brave and courageous and true. And I loved having you both here. So for my listeners, all of you have done a great job making us in the top 5% of global podcasts. And I don't know how many podcasts there are. So I don't know what that actually means. Other than it's fun to share. And we're in the top well, 20 futurist podcasts. I didn't know I was a futurist. Every time someone names you, you become something new. So I'm a real fan of futurism because the signals are coming to us every day. And today's podcast makes me remember that there are signals coming at us at the times they are changing fast. We know that. But how can we do this in a way that will be stronger for our kids and their kids and create a, a real strong culture and society where children are in the forefront of what we're doing and how we're doing it? And that doesn't mean just popping them in the car and helicoptering them over to the next lacrosse game. I mean, there's something broader here and, and even getting them to love to read and understand the joy of exploring ideas and staying on top of what's happening because they're going to lead us. These are great, great stories. Um, you can reach me at info at andysimon.com. My books are on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, or On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, from which this whole podcast developed. And as we move into our 300th year, I'm really happy to be Oh, sharing lots and lots of great stories. Thanks for coming. Have a great day. Stay well and enjoy the joy of living. Bye-bye. Thank you, Andy. Bye.